Please have a seat. Good morning. Christ is risen. Risen indeed. That's a saying. It's almost 2,000 years old. That's how the early church would greet each other. One person would initiate by saying he is risen, and then they would respond by saying he is risen indeed. Early church wanted to remember that, that Sunday. So important to remember all that happened on Sunday. Because on Friday, they had a different feeling. As a matter of fact, at Grace, we, we had a service on Friday, Good Friday, where we tried to find ourselves, trying to, we, we tried to get our souls inside those emotions and those memories of those who were closest in community with Jesus Christ, those who loved Jesus dearly in that upper room for that last Passover meal, the fulfillment of all previous Passovers, the first communion that they had together. And we did that on, on Friday. It was a spiritual event here. We were trying to f- get like our souls to a place where we could like imagine what it must be like to, to put all of your hope into one man and reasonably so, but placing all of your future and the reason to live into this one man with expectations of, of grandeur only to find out that he is taken and then tried and then killed as a treason. How do, how do we live life? We tried to leave Friday trying to figure out how to live life with nothing. How do you live life with no hope, with no reason to get up, no excuse to try, with no words? How do you live that life? How long can a soul live without hope? 40 hours. Turns out it's about 40 hours. Because after Good Friday and the death of Jesus and his burial, there was Sunday. Not Easter Sunday. No bunnies in this story. Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday where Jesus rose from the dead The stone was rolled away, and he was victorious. And the point of his victory over death was to assure us of his promises. It was was proof, guarantee, that his promises were true. And fundamentally, this is his promise. Jesus said this, I can take you home. Only I can get you home. But I can. I promise. Home is our heart's greatest longing. Home is knowing God. Home is enjoying God. Home is being loved in a way and by by God in expressions that are unimaginable for us, but we know it's there. Home is a place where we are known in a deeper, in a truer way then we will allow ourselves to be known in this life. Home is close to God. We want to be close to God. And Jesus said, I can take you home. Only I can take you home. Because we are lost. We are so lost, we can't find our way by ourselves. We are so broken, we can't fix what's broken. We we cannot have what we absolutely need because of the sin within us. And in contrast to the glory and the brilliance of God's holiness. And so every single encounter that a man or woman has in the Bible with God and his holiness does not go well. It is awe-filled 
It is awful. There is fear and terror involved in the mortal being because we can't get close to the proximity of the Lord God without his presence, just his nature annihilating us. That's the problem. That's why we can't get home. Here's here's a case in point. There's a story in the Older Testament, and the person is Isaiah. And Isaiah, he's not like me, and he might not be like you. He is the absolute moral standard of righteousness in the day. He, he w- he's a prophet. He would be like, if, if you will, a modern-day Billy Graham, a man without guile. He speaks for God. And in the context of this story, his, his nation is in despair, and then he goes to ask God, you know, for some guidance. And he gets much more than guidance. So much more than guidance. And so this is his experience. It's found in in Isaiah chapter 6. It says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and and, and, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood seraphim, and each had six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with the other two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. A little more than guidance. He gets an experience with God himself. The seraphim... These are heavenly angels. In other words, they're in his presence all the time. And the word seraphim literally means the bright ones or the burning ones. But look, look I mean, in this story, the bright and, and brilliant, the burning ones, they have to cover their eyes because even as bright as they are, God's glory, his beauty, his holiness is too radiant and too pure for them. It, it, it's like our sun is, what, uh, 93 million miles away from us. We can't look at it without going blind. And God, he's a hundred million suns. And so even these heavenly angels that are brilliant and bright and burning, they can't stare upon him. They keep chanting, holy, holy, holy. The word holy means to be cut away from or divided. It means to be set apart. And in the context of God's holiness, it means to be set apart from everything, everyone, because he is, as scholars will say a phrase, awesome mystery. The, uh, it's called the otherness of God. And they chant this word holy, holy, holy because, well, as some of you know, if you read the Older Testament, you know when they repeat a word twice, it means, oh, that is truly true. But in this case, it says holy three times. And the point is this, that no language can contain this identity, this descriptive word of God, not even an angelic language. It's just holy, holy, holy. And when God speaks, the doorposts rattle, the whole foundation shakes. And the point is that heaven itself Heaven itself is incapable of containing this glory of God, this holiness of God. It is too brilliant, too spectacular, too powerful, 
And this saint shows up, and he is unmade. He cannot go on. The most holy man alive. And this is what he says. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm ruined, it says. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh Almighty. I have seen him. I've got a glimpse of him. Never mind that I'm a prophet of God. Never mind he's the advisor like of great kings. It doesn't matter now. He's overwhelmed with the depth and the profound sinfulness of his very nature. He, he just he gets this small glimpse of who God is, and he says, woe is me. He screams, I, I can't be here. I cannot be here. I'm undone. I'm torn apart, right? Holy cut away. I'm torn apart, cut away like a jagged tear, not on a seam. This, the, the idea is that God is above aboveness. He is other than otherness. He is beyond beyondness. And, and he, his repentance is, I, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Did I tell you? He's the Billy Graham of the day. That's the best thing he has to show for his life, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is the thing he does best. But now, in the presence of God, it is vile in contrast. I mean, Billy Graham saying, oh, my gospels, revivals, I'm sorry. <laughs> so inadequate. So if that's true... And can you imagine, like, on your best day, on my best day, it was going great. And then I did this one thing. And during that one thing, I was completely self-forgetful. That one act of righteousness? No. Not when you are in the presence of God. He concludes later on, verse uh, chapter 64, he says, Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Oh, yeah, you bet. Comparatively speaking, and, and I did that transliteration there, righteous Sadiq, because we're studying that as a church for, I don't know, six weeks now. We still have a few more to go because it's such a beautiful word. And the word means, means perfect, perfection, perfect perfection. That's what it means. And that's the standard of, of what righteousness or justification means. That's how you get home. That's how you find your way. You have to be that. And so Isaiah here is saying, oh, we're just lost. We're so far from that standard of righteousness. There is none righteous, not even one. There's no one that's even close to getting home. No one does good, not even one. That's his experience. This ex event with the being in the presence of God, Isaiah the prophet of God repents not of his sin, but of the best part of his life. And he realizes that he has no righteousness to bring into the presence of God. And so he is lost. He has never felt so far away from home than when he was the closest to God and his brilliant holiness. Now, watch what, in the context of the holy, holy, holiness of God, God does in his grace and mercy. 
Next few sentences here. He says, and then, then one of the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar. Remember that altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt has taken, been taken away, and your sin atoned for. Those are key phrases there. Even the angels, uh, burning angels, they can't touch this coal. And, and beyond reason, w- without making sense of why God would do this, he makes Isaiah well. It's as he goes, he gets this call from the altar. What is the altar? The altar is a place that it, it, re- it represents this place where a ransom payment towards the holiness of God is, is paid. And it's like the ransom payment is made, and then it is taken by the other party. And the ransom payment is blood. It is a the altar is a bloody altar because it is that, it is that blood, the life, it's simple, right? The life has to cover the sin. And that's what it takes to have atonement, to be atoned for. What is, what is atonement? Well, it's a funny word because if you just break it up, that's what it means. Atonement is at one meant. And because this ransom payment is paid from the altar, this blood, then he can be one. Isaiah can be made one. He can be taken. The atonement, right, is like the toll. The toll was paid so he could go home. And that's what this story is. The whole point of this story is, it's it's a symbol, it's a clue, it's an Older Testament salvation experience. And here's here's what the picture is. The picture is, is this unclean, defiled human mortal, right? And and then this glorious, righteous coal, and it touches that thing that's unclean. But the coal is not defiled, but rather the righteousness of the coal infects and, and makes well that which was unclean. You see, it has more power. The point is, is that the righteous coal was greater than the sinfulness of Isaiah. It, it, it means the atonement was so much more right, than the uncleanliness. The cure is greater than the disease. And so we're supposed to be looking for that as a future clue of how can we find our way back home? How, how are we going to get home? It's, this is a sign because what, what this is showing here is that salvation, it's going to have to be a miracle. That righteousness, it's going to have to be a gift from an outside source. It's going to have to be just given to us because that's how Isaiah experienced. And so we're looking for this, this super-powered righteousness that can have that's so much more than even uncleanliness. And so when Jesus shows up, he's representing, he, he, is, he is God in flesh. And so when he comes, he's supposed to be this perfect Jewish rabbi, but he keeps touching things that are unclean. But when Jesus touches those things that are unclean, in all other cases, that would make that person unclean. Jesus shows up. He touches a leper. The leper is healed. He touches a blind man. The blind man can see. He touches a woman that's bleeding. Again, that's uncleanly. That's, that represents sin. She gets well. His righteousness is greater than their evil. And so there's our clue. He's the coal sent, from the, uh, sent to, to give sins for the altar. 
And that's what he, he comes and he says, look, I'll, I'll shed blood for you. So this day that we call Good Friday, that day was Jesus on the cross at Golgotha. Golgotha is the altar. Golgotha is where Jesus bled and gave his blood, his life, so that we could be atoned for. That's where the ransom payment was made towards God's holiness. Jesus says, I'll pay that debt. And the father said, I'll take that payment. Jesus said, I'll take you home. Only I can. It will be a miracle. It's going to be a gift. Did his promise come true? Were they just words? Were they hopeful or were they real? They were real. That's the point of Resurrection Sunday, to validate and verify all the promises that he made, to validate and verify that the ransom payment was made and it was greater than the sins. He, he rolls the stone away on Resurrection Sunday and whispers, oh, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? And in that whisper, all the heavens rumbled like thunder because it was a new day. There is a way home. There is a way. Salvation is going to have to be from God, and it was. It, righteousness would have to be a gift, and it was the gift of Jesus' righteousness. There's only one way home, and he provided it. Here's how the Bible puts it in Romans chapter 3. It's, he says, this righteousness, there's our word, there's that Sadiq word, this righteousness is given, told you. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory and the holiness of God, and all are justified, that means Sadiq, freely by, a, by his grace through a ransom payment that came by Jesus or Christ Jesus. Next sentence. God publicly displayed Christ as a sacrifice of atonement at one minute through the shedding of his blood to be received by his faith. He's the fulfillment of all those clues in Isaiah. Here's the sentence that changed all of creation. And God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, that perfect perfection, so as to be both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. How did he get home? How do you get close to God? Is there any chance there's anything stronger than the power of the contamination of the sin that is within us and those things that we do? Yeah. It's in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is in the ransom payment that he paid. The righteous live by faith. Faith in the gracious gift of Jesus' death that was validated in the resurrection. Is there any other way? Could there be any other way? Think about this. Could there be any other way to get home? If there is another way, what does that say about the nature of God? We, look, we mock the, the grace of God's gift of righteousness if we think that we could get righteousness Sadiqness through like the law, doing good, trying hard. Because if we can get righteousness by doing good, fulfilling the law, then Christ died needlessly, 
right? He didn't have to die, but he did. What, what does that say about the father? What kind of God would send his son to live amongst us and to die, not any death? He died that death. Why? Well, you know, just because he didn't have to? No. The only way this makes sense is if it's the only way for God to be both just and the one who justified. Look, if there's a shortcut to home, right? If there's, a, if there's another way to have eternal life, wouldn't God communicate that publicly through like the Old Testament rituals, through, through prophets, through signs, through dreams? God would want us to know how to have eternal life, especially if it were another means. But there's not. If righteousness can be had through the law, then Christ died needlessly. He did not die needlessly. The resurrection proved two things. One, that Jesus is the only way to get home. It's a gift. It's a miracle, this righteousness. And two, the resurrection proved it works. Jesus is the only means, and it works. That's the point of the resurrection. Here's what happens in the resurrection. It's a great exchange. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become, there's the word again, the righteousness of God in him. We get the righteousness of God in him as a gift. That's what we're putting our faith in. You get to heaven. Let's pretend there's gates and stuff, right? You know, why should I let you in my heaven, God asks. Two words. You promised. It's all on him. He made this promise. My faith is in that promise. The promise was validated in the resurrection. That's, that's how I know. That's how I have certainty about my eternal fate. That's why I live my life the way I do right now. Look, there's a, one of the disciples, the apostle, one of the apostles, his name is John. He wrote this to you, me, and everyone between you know, now and back in Jesus' day, because times were hard when he wrote this letter, he said this, I write to you, you, listen, if you have the son, you have the life. If you do not have the son, you do not have the life. I've written these words to you that have the son that you might know you have eternal life. You might know you have eternal life. God doesn't want us walking around going, I don't know how this is going to end for me. I don't know where I'm going to spend forever. I wish God would tell me if there were a way home. I wish God would validate it if there were a way home. Paul, John says, oh, I'm writing these things. If you have the son, you have the life, so that you would know that. How do you know that? Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We have... We now, like we have this righteousness now by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it works. Here's the, here's the math and the physics of this again, right? It's the atoning righteousness that we receive is so much more than the sins against the holiness of God. So much more. The cure is greater than the disease. And only that cure could say that. Why would God do this? Why would God send his son? If you leave with nothing on this Resurrection Sunday, leave with this. Leave with this certainty. God loves you. And it's not a love that you're 
you probably have definitions for or even an experience with. It is a, a perfect love. It's a perfectly perfect love. It is a righteous love. It is a holy, holy, holy love. It's a love that sacrifices. It is a love that's stronger than death. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. If anyone believed in his righteousness exchange, they would not perish. They would have eternal life. Salvation is a gift. Righteousness is a gift. It is a miracle. And when you experience this kind of love, this kind of miraculous salvation, your life will change. It has to change. Everything is altered. You're revolutionized. Look what happens in Isaiah's life. Let's go back to the story. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Isaiah says, here I am, send me. You see, Isaiah has experienced this salvation that is miraculous, that's a gift. And God says, look, I want everyone to know there's a way home. I want everyone to be certain that they can make it. It'll be a miracle. It'll be a gift, but I want everyone to know. And so people, because they've received it, they, they want to be part of this, this desire. Whatever God loves, they love. And God loves this. And so they want to be part of this. They want to, they want, they're, they're running on a different kind of power. They're, they're motivated by a different kind of fuel, love, and gratitude. And, and people that really grasp this type of salvation, the only kind of salvation... They do crazy things, what appears to be crazy things, just to please God. Not so that they'll please him, but because God has given them. And, and, and so, uh, fundamentally, the value in the soul of, of, a, of a follower of Jesus Christ is when they consider the present sufferings, whatever the Lord might have them do, they're not even comparable to the glory that they're going to experience later in eternity in his presence. And so these followers of Jesus Christ, the people in the room here, many of them in the room here, they appear to do things that are crazy, but they are logical expressions of people that are living out their life as a sacrifice. And so one of the things I love about Resurrection Sunday as, as, a, as a pastor is I get to tell you you're not crazy for, for all that you do to love his church and to glorify him and to, to get, bring him joy. When you serve his church, when you like, help in, in, our, in, our, in the various ministries of the local church, in the children's ministry, whether they're little young you know, newborns or in, in our young, younger children, and you are investing in them and teaching them the Bible, that's not crazy, all that time and energy. Working with our students in our, our young adult ministry to invest in a generation that is going to go past you, that's not crazy. When you serve in our adult ministry, that makes sense. It might seem crazy for you to go out of your way to help the poor and, and maybe some homeless to get back on their feet. Perfect, right? We have sent people all over the world. We have financed their trips. We have sent our children to dangerous locations just to bring this message of there's a way home. It's crazy, but it's not. It, it's today just a commitment to purity. Uh, a dedication to virtue. I know in this culture, that seems insane. I'm telling you, because of the resurrection, it's reasonable. 
It's logical. It's what happens when your soul is transformed from the inside out. It's what happens when gratitude overflows. And those people in this congregation that historically have given so much of their time, so much of their wealth, so much of their soul's energy, there's a lot of giving once you receive this kind of joy. It's not crazy. You're not crazy. It's your way of saying, send me. Here I am, send me. Because on that day, the stone was rolled away, and death lost its sting. And finally, the grave was no longer victorious. Hell, shut up and stay in your corner until the final judgment comes. You have no more power. That's what happened on Resurrection Day. Death finally got killed. The tomb was empty. Hearts and souls were filled. Faith was vindicated. All those Older Testament saints, now they get to say, I told you so. Sin lost. Shame died. Hope transformed. The resurrection gave us something to live for besides our own self. It gave our lives something to die for. The resurrection gave our death something to enjoy for eternity. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Right? That's right. That's what today is all about. Let's, for just, would you, would you enjoy this for a moment? Would you bow your heads with me? I want to just talk, maybe this is maybe God's voice to you, but think about this. Have you been living a long, long way from home for a long time, and are you growing weary and destroying and injuring those that you love the most? Because the Father is calling. He says, come home. Just come home. I love you. I did not send my son into this world to condemn the world, but so that you might know there's a way home. Jesus' death, that can make you at one meant. His death pays all your ransom. So pray now. Pray. Pray that you confess your sins, not just of the things you do wrong, but the things you thought were righteous. But pray, confess this sin that you actually thought that you could earn your way into the presence of God. And now you see that would, make, that would make the death of Jesus irrelevant. That now you get it. Pray this. Lord God, Good Friday, that was my fault. I held the spikes. I drove those nails into the hands and the feet of Jesus. I'm not a good person. I am not righteous. The only way I can get there is if you just give it to me. And I receive your grace as a gift you promised. I just want to be near you. I want to feel the nearness of you in my life. And I can't get there. And so now I put my faith entirely in, the, in what Jesus did. And I believe. I want to know more, but that, that resurrection, it proves, it proves what he said. They can get me home, and I'm counting on that. For every one of us, how grateful we are, Lord, beyond words, 
who you are in the way you've expressed your love towards us. And we give our lives as a reasonable expression of worship to you. Our decisions are our offerings of praise. We, we do this together as a family, a collection of people in a church. And we pray this in the name of the one who brought us hope, who defeated sin, who destroyed death, who gives us the spirit. We do this in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, if this is a new thing for you or you want to know more about Jesus, we want to help you. If this is a new thing for you, there's a phrase in the Bible that says you're born again. Congratulations, you're a brand new born. You're going to need some help. We'd love to be part of that. If you just check that box in the bulletin here, put it in the plate when it passes, that would be great. If this is a brand new thing, here's another little piece of homework for you. You need to tell someone. Before dinner tonight, tell someone, hey, I'm a... I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to believe not in my good stuff. I'm going to believe in, in his gift of righteousness. Okay? Would you do that? Tell someone about it. Tell someone about it. Help us in your journey. Hey, let's sing one more song together, and I'll come back and close things up. Let's sing about the death and the resurrection of our great King Jesus.